It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is live on campus at the University of Florida in and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. Woo! All right. Now that's some love. I want to thank you guys for that warm welcome. That was awesome. We're with the Florida Gators football team, and we have a special guest with us now, Vernon Hargraves. Hi, Vernon. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. First of all, uh, what's your position? I play defensive back. DB, and uh, what's your specialty? Hitting or intercepting? Uh, intercepting. Thought all of it. Yep. Okay, so we'll be watching for Vernon number what? Number one. No, number one, really? Yeah, you already know. Oh, you don't. <laughs> Your jersey number is number one. Number one. Number one. They don't give number one just to anybody, do they? All right. Nah. Were you number one as a freshman? Uh, well, not the first two games, but I kind of earned it. You know, All so. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Vernon Hargraves, number one on the Florida Gators. Well, we bring Vernon on the show. Uh, we could talk for hours about athletics and football, but we want to talk about community service. We travel the country uh, to bring uh, character and integrity awareness from a college athletics point of view out to our listeners. And uh, Vernon's going to share with us some of the things the Gators do uh, around Gainesville. What's up? Uh, you know, as a team, you know, we like to go to the Boys and Girls Club, you know, hang out with the kids, talk to them. Uh, we had a shoe drive, you know, a few months ago. Uh, you know, things like that. You got to give back to the community. And when you work with the Boys and Girls Clubs, um, how old are these kids? You know, elementary, junior high, and high school grades? Elementary. All of it? Uh, elementary. Yeah. So these little kids, they, they look at you guys like your superheroes. So yeah. some of the linemen, the six foot seven guys walk in, do they scare them? Oh, yeah, they love Trip. You know, the, uh, he was one of their favorites. So. Uh, you know, yeah, they like it. You know, they like being around us. We like being around them. Do they gravitate to you because you're a normal-sized human being? <laughs> uh, not necessarily, <laughs> you know. Um, not really. But they remember you the most because you're number one. Always. You already Always. know. Always. All right. Well, let's have a round of applause for Vernon Hargraves. Fantastic. Thank you so much for hosting the Adam Rich Show at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. Coming to you from the Circle of Hope uh, Gala event. This is uh, put on by Fairbanks, um, focused on addiction and recovery, and with topics in America like heroin addiction that have just been causing so much pain and uh, suffering for families uh, coast to coast. We are honored to have an addiction and heroin expert with us, Andrew McKenna. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. I, um, when this interview is over, I'm going to commission you to do the voice work for my uh, radio <laughs> shows, if you don't mind. I don't know. I'm sure people have told you you have an attractive voice. That's probably helped you in your career as a keynote speaker. I appreciate that. It, it has. It's, it's, it's somewhere it falls between like the bullfrog and a, a, a good voice. So it's, it's one or the other. But, yeah, I appreciate you saying and that. And unlike, you know, me, it's not a voice for radio or a face for radio. You, you're actually you're a decent-looking guy, too. You got the whole package. <laughs> I don't know about all of that. I'm carrying about the extra 25 pounds. But go ahead. I really appreciate you saying that. Well, Andrew McKenna is uh, author, speaker. Uh, your book really says it all. Let me see if I get it right. Sheer madness from federal prosecutor to federal prisoner. Correct. I mean, that is uh, that tells 
the viewer, the reader, everything they need to know. You were a federal prosecutor, and you ended up in federal prison. That's correct. I did. Uh, I did indeed. I um, went to law school. I left law school. I went to the um, or graduated law school. I went to the Marine Corps and did a tour with the Marines um, as a judge advocate general, which is a lawyer. We go through the same training as everybody else. It doesn't matter what your job is. And then ultimately I went to the Justice Department in Washington, D.C., and I prosecuted uh, international drug trafficking crimes and money laundering crimes. Um, you know, not too long after that, I had injured my back when I was with the Marines. Eventually I got addicted to pain prescription medication. Um, and, you know, things went south. It's a house of cards. You cannot sustain... Um, that level of prescription use. I have an addictive personality to begin with, so it wasn't. I was. I wasn't taking things as directed, and I was traveling around the world. Um, and certainly, my back was hurt, but it wasn't hurt so much where I needed, you know, you know, twelve Percocet a day. Um, unfortunately, my doctor uh, wasn't too concerned with the quantity he was prescribing to me. Um, ultimately, I left the Justice Department. I moved back up to New York from Washington, D.C., and when the pills ran out, I turned to heroin. That seems like a pretty big jump. I mean, I'm not, um, I know a little bit about addiction. We do a lot of alcohol awareness on this broadcast. Um, but when the pills ran out, you jumped to, to heroin. That, that, to me, seems like a big jump. Is, was that a big jump? It is, unless you consider the final pill that I was taking, and that's OxyContin, yeah. which is put out by a company by you know called Purdue. It's basically heroin in a pill. I was on Fox and Friends a couple months ago debating uh, Dr. Keith Abloh, a, a renowned psychiatrist. The FDA, a few days prior, had just approved OxyContin for children as young as 12 years old. And we're not talking about in a hospice setting. We're talking about sending them home with the, with the prescriptions. Um, and as I said, that's heroin in a pill. When, as soon as I tried that, it was a game changer. You know, we're not talking about hydrocodone and Percocet, which are dangerous enough, right? We're talking about OxyContin. And when those run out, Adam, the withdrawals are so powerful. It's, it's the, I tell people it's the flu times 30 or it's the flu times 20. I mean, you're vomiting. You can't get control of your bodily functions. You're having the worst nightmares. You're in and out of consciousness. It's an absolute hell. Um, and so one day I called my friend and I said, what are we going to do? Because the OxyContin had run out. The guy who was selling them had gotten popped. He was arrested. And, in, and ultimately, you know, after several exchanges with my friend, he said, well, come over. And when I went over, he had, had he put a little bit of heroin on a mirror. Now, it's either I'm going to do that heroin or I'm going to run back into the bathroom and throw up for the 12th time. Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. Um, you know, the, of course, we all know about the stigma and these other issues, and I think that's changing. But I was a lawyer practicing in Albany, New York at a, prestigious, or as a, at a good firm, and I wasn't about to go to them and say I'm addicted to OxyContin. So I tried to maintain it with the heroin, and as I said earlier, it's a house of cards, it's impossible. Now at this time, the pain was from the, uh, the pill addiction. Was it still from the back injury that you had, or that's now history? The back injury essentially is history. I treat it now. I'm, I'm coming up on 11 years, um, opiate-free. I'll never go back. 
you know, I, I've, when I moved, um, I ended up robbing a bunch of banks in my desperation and anger. And that's, you know, I can get into that, you know, maybe in another show or in this interview, that's fine. Um, but I was really, it, it reached my depths of despair and frustration and anger. I had several setbacks in family court. Um, but 65 months, I did 65 months in federal prison. And um, I started my recovery at that point. I, could, I had access to heroin. There's a ton of heroin in prison, more so than cocaine or other substances because it's small, it's easier to get in. But I just didn't, I was done with it. I, I couldn't fathom going back to that, uh, that feeling of desperation and helplessness and pain. Just an unbelievable story. Our guest is Andrew McKenna, author, speaker, um, addiction expert. And I mean, again, you, the jump in your conversation, the jump from one step to the next, when you say, you know, I was addicted to some uh, pain pills and then I did heroin. And then the next paragraph of your story is, and then I robbed a bunch of banks. I mean, that is crazy to a normal, you know, person walking down the street. I mean, it's, it's crazy to a, to a bank robber. I mean, I, that's just a crazy story, especially considering where you are today. You're, you're sitting here in a coat and tie as a well-respected member of, of planet Earth getting ready to give a, a keynote speech on addiction and recovery, if that's what the keynote speech is about. I don't know. Maybe it's about you've got so many different angles you cover um, in your book and your, with your expertise. So I guess let's jump back to that part of your story where you just blurted out, I robbed a bunch of banks. Well, well that's the part that really grabs the attention. Of Again, I hate to interrupt, but for our listeners, with a decorated military career and you're a federal prosecutor, so you're an attorney, and you still went out and robbed banks to support your addiction to heroin. Right. And it took me years to figure out, to make that connection, because there's such a disconnect there. And I'm not a sociopath, and I was functioning at a high level in society. Um, what happened was, uh, once I entered the compulsion stage of addiction, and it's hard for people to you know, well, swallow this pill, but what happens is a person in the compulsion stage of addiction is either going to use or they're going to get violently ill, especially pertaining to opiates. Um, my wife saw the writing on the wall. The marriage was already in trouble, and that may have contributed to some of my earlier opiate use to escape those feelings of you know failing marriage and unhappiness. Um, but one night I came home from an outpatient rehab because I'd gotten myself into some treatment. And the house was dark. She had taken the, my two young boys and uh, moved in with her mom. So I didn't have... Immediately, I lost contact with my children. Um, I was devastated. And at the time, I blamed her, and I blamed family court, and I blamed anybody who would listen. Uh, but ultimately, the responsibility was mine. It was my actions as an addict uh, that took the pill from the jar and put it in my mouth. Okay, so ultimately I'm responsible. Now, the caveat to that is, is that at one point I became so far gone and so far depressed that I couldn't see, um, I couldn't see a way ahead. I couldn't see, I wanted to die at times. Um, the pain was so great. I couldn't see my children. Family court judge called me a junkie in open court and said, nobody believes a junkie. You were a rising star, but nobody believes a junkie. So I had these, and, and again, it's not the family court's fault, right? 
I'm responsible. I, I can't be responsible for what he says to me. So over and over again, I, I suffered losses in uh, my custody battle in family court. It got to the point where I just drove up there knowing I was just going to get beaten down and I still wouldn't be able to see my kids, you know, maybe once a month, supervised for an hour. Uh, and I was a pretty good dad prior to falling into this opiate addiction. And even in the early stages when I was taking opiates to treat the back pain legitimately, I was still a good father because I was using as directed and I wasn't out of my mind. As the marriage continued to crumble and certainly after my wife left and took the kids, I went uh, into a, a very deep depression. I checked myself into a mental unit at a hospital. I didn't want to live. I, I couldn't fathom living without them. Um, How long ago was that? We're looking at 11 years. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, one day, and I can't explain this, Adam, because I get asked the question all the time. Uh, well, I can sort of explain it. One day I'm driving north in New York to go to my uh, family court hearing, knowing that there's probably a good chance I'm going to have a, a dirty urine. Um, <clears throat> even though during that period I put together some, some significant periods of sobriety. I say significant, we're talking early sobriety, so I could go two or three months, you know, have a sponsor within a 12-step program. But I just couldn't. I couldn't get past not seeing my kids, and the depression was raging. So I was almost making it, but I wasn't really making it. So instead of going to the family court, I drove north to the next exit. I went to the first bank I found. I went in and I robbed it. I can't explain it. I remember it, but it seems like a blurred sort of vision. And the worst part about this it was the look on the teller's face. As you can imagine, over the last decade, spending 65 months in federal prison, you know, I've had a lot of time to reflect on this. I've had a lot of time to do some self-forgiving, um, asking others for forgiveness, making amends for my wrongs. But the thing I can't get out of my mouth, my out of my mind's eye, is the look on the teller's face because they were young girls, 22, 23, and I, I scared them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard for me to forgive myself for that. Our guest is Andrew McKenna. I want to thank our friends at uh, Fairbanks and the Circle of Hope Gala event, which we are at right now. You can hear some of the hubbub in the background, and it's going to be quite an evening with keynote speaker Andrew McKenna uh, that we're lucky enough to get some time with. Uh, just an amazing story, and it's all laid out in your book, Sheer Madness from Federal Prosecutor to Federal Prisoner. Um, we could dwell on that part of your life, uh, the devastation, the depression, the addiction, uh, but let's move forward to, I guess, post-recovery and the success story that is Andrew McKenna. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, we have, um, you know, I travel the country. I talk to different groups. It's a story of hope. You know, clearly I have to bring the audience or whoever's listening uh, with me through the early years and what went wrong. But I'm proof that you can come out of, of the other end and be successful. I'm not talking financially successful. I'm just saying in terms of a recovery and leading a healthy, happy life. It's possible. It takes work. There's no question it takes work. I work with a company now called Addiction Campuses of America, and they take a different approach to treatment. And I urge people to uh, Google Addiction Campuses of America. Um, it's, it's a company that I'm very proud of. And 
it's not one size fits all in recovery. You know, Twelve step programs are for some people. You know, intensive one on one inpatient counseling is right for other people. Uh, you have dialectical behavior therapy works for some people. So I think that has to be the approach because we know the status quo isn't working. The percentages of people um, actually recovering and le- going on to lead uh, happy, healthy lives, which they deserve, is not as high, anywhere near as high as it should be. Um, but with that said, mine is a message of hope. So if I speak to the colleges or professional organizations, you know, people aren't walking out thinking, oh my God, doom and gloom. They're saying, look, here's a guy who was, you know, wanted to kill himself. You know, he was on the floor of a county jail throwing up for seven days. You know, but now he's back and he may, he's going to make it. And if, if, if I'm making it, if I'm going out to help others, the re- person in early recovery in that audience or a clinician who's dedicated their lives to helping people, I think that gives them the sense that, you know what, we're fighting for something right here. And if we fight together, we're going to make this. We're going to make this happen. I think your audience member can connect to you uh, because walking into an auditorium, uh, an audience member might say, well, there's no way I'm going to end up addicted to heroin and rob a bank. But after they hear the slope that you fell down, they could say, oh, my gosh, that could completely be me if, you know, if I'm not proactive. I use the analogy when when you're a little kid and the first time you're in this in a in-ground swimming pool and you're in the shallow end and you're walking towards the deep end and you're kind of a little tentative and you're not sure what's going to happen and all of a sudden your toes don't touch. That's how quickly opiate addiction in particular, but all addictions, but opiate in, in, in particular for me, that's how quickly it can grab you. Before you know it, you're flailing your arms to keep your head above water. Andrew McKenna is our guest, uh, heroin addiction, and what is your best advice for a family listening right now that maybe has a young uh, family member that they just discovered is using or addicted to heroin? Um, I've heard in the past from some of our previous guests how some families are afraid to go get help because they don't know, there's a stigma like you mentioned. What is your best advice to that family member who doesn't, who's just starting to go down that deep end and just starting to notice their toes aren't touching the, the bottom of the pool? Okay, here's my advice on the stigma. I see a lot of movement that we're getting away from the stigma. For the parent or you know, older brother or older sister of the, of the struggling addict, think about this. Do you want to walk into their bedroom and see a needle hanging out of their arm face down on the floor? Because in the Northeast, we see it all the time. Yep. It's in the paper every other day, and I know it is here as well. For the, for the CDC to, to, to characterize this as an epidemic, you know, there's certain criteria that have to be met. This is serious stuff. Forget the, forget the stigma. You know, get your child help. The thing that we know that helps or works the best is early prevention. And that's educating the uh, children. You know, I'm not going to say go back to fourth grade, but, you know, people used to scoff at Nancy Reagan's slogan, say no to drugs. But you know what? My 10-year-old came up to me the other day and said, Dad, why is that guy smoking? He's killing himself. Okay, so they're teaching don't smoke. Yeah. Why don't teach don't don't do drugs, right? So yeah. maybe there was more to Nancy Reagan, and that's not necessarily my politics, but you know maybe there was more to that than meets the eye. So I think what parents can do is they can pay closer attention to what the children are doing. No, no parent wants to believe that their child is, is abusing, you know, opiates or marijuana, cocaine, alcohol. Um, but you need to open your eyes. The other thing that we know is we know that 
sort of in terms of supply, children, you know, in middle school and high school are getting the pills out of their parents' medicine cabinets. We know statistically that it's happening. And and then once the pills fill, uh, run out, because they will, you can't go to mom and dad and say, hey, we're done with this, get and get some more. Um, it's very easy for them to turn to pills on the street. problem with pills on the street is that they're ridiculously expensive. But you know what's not expensive? Heroin. Because you can get a bag of heroin for less than you can get pay for a decent IPA. And so that's the reality of it. Parents need, yeah, parents need to be, and what I'm, what I'm really encouraged by, and this is why I think we're moving in the right direction, is that a lot of the school districts uh, that I work with, um, in particular suburban school districts, are inviting speakers in. Not necessarily, don't invite, you don't have to invite me in. Bring somebody in, you know? Bring the mom who found her daughter OD'd. You know, let's make it like a victim impact panel, if you will. In New York, if you get a DWI, and I think it's the same in this state, you have to go to what's called a victim impact panel. And then you listen to people who lost uh, loved ones to drunk drivers. I mean, I've, I've, I, I snuck into one, basically, to just find out what they were about. And I left almost in tears, you know, choking back tears for sure. Um, I think that's how we're going to reach children. Because they don't want to be talked to. They don't want to be lectured to. They don't want to hear the school nurse beat them over the head with, this is bad, don't do it. Right? But if you hear from somebody, you know, a mother or a brother or a sister, you know, and develop that empathy and, and show the children that their decisions have an impact on those around them. And then just keep going with it. Yeah. I saw on your website, I want to um, get to your website here, andrewjamesmckenna.com. Uh, through your work, not only with addiction and heroin and counseling, but you counsel young people as they're heading to prison. Did I read that right on your on your website? Because of your 65 months, five years in federal prison, you actually work with people to sort of, I guess, give them advice on how to survive behind bars, mentally, physically, what, what to expect, how to get the most out of it. Is that right? That's right. And when I was there, when I was in prison, I saw probably the, the highest level of, of violence that I could ever imagine. Um, and there are just some best practices for doing time. And so as a consulting business, I started out doing it for friends because it seems like half the people I know are lawyers and they're for my friends. And they have clients that are unfortunately or fortunately going to, do, to, to, to you know, do their time. And so, yeah, that's something that I do. It's not always young folks, uh, yeah, but you know, but oftentimes it is. And they're scared to death, and it's that great unknown. And they're sitting in county jail, waiting to go to a federal or federal state prison. Um, and so that's been pretty effective, I think. Well, let me uh, ask you the follow-up to this, and then I'll let you go. As you can hear, the uh, crowd is growing. We're at the Circle of Hope Gala event for Fairbanks. We encourage our listeners to check out Fairbanks online uh, for addiction and recovery tips. Fair, I believe it's Fairbanks.org, uh, but you can Google search Fairbanks Recovery and Addiction and find out more. Um, consulting anyone, young or old, on their way to prison, the heroin and drug ad- uh, addiction uh, consulting you do and um, counseling you do. Give me a success story of somebody who maybe came to you a few years ago with that look in their eye, into their rope, maybe wanted to kill themselves, and now 24, 36 months later, you've run into them again, and they've had a, a success story to say, Andrew, I just want to thank you for your, for your help. Everything's turned around, and everything's great now. Well, we'll call him Jason. 
and it might sound a little contrived, but he reached out to me through my website. Uh, he was local to me in New York. We got together for coffee, um, completely strung out on opiates. Um, hair was greasy and messy. He looked like I did when you know I, I robbed my first bank. I was just a mess. And um, I was able to talk to him. We had coffee. Actually, he couldn't drink coffee because he was too nauseous. But he sipped a little bit of water. Clearly, he was dehydrated. And it was the look in his eye. And I knew that he wanted to get clean and sober. He was at his wit's end. He was on the verge of getting sick. He didn't know what to do. I called um, a contact I have at a hospital uh, in a detox facility, and we got him in right away. And I kept I kept my eye on him, and for accountability reasons, and also because his family had given up on him. So it was a powerful thing that we developed this relationship. And from detox, he wasn't discharged to the streets, which is one of the biggest mistakes that you can do in recovery, but he was put into a 28-day program. Um, in addition to the 28 days, because 28 days is not enough for opiate addictions, clearly isn't. We know that, statistically, and that's why people are dropping like flies. So we, we drag it out to 60 days, 90 days. I think we got him something like 75 days fighting tooth and nail with insurance and then after that we got him to a, a three-quarters house or a halfway house then a three-quarters house and now he's th he's thriving he's 18 well I think he's coming up on his 18 month anniversary he's clean he's employed he's he's making amends to his family reestablishing those relationships so we know there's a way out there's a way not, not it's not a way out there's a way through Right, because there's no way going around it. That's not going to happen. Um, but he's put in the work, and he's dedicated, and he's a remarkable young man. And I just, I love the guy. Those stories are out there. There's uh, Jason. There's Andrew McKenna. Uh, it can be done. We encourage you. If you know anybody that needs help, get the help needed, necessary. Go online. Find somewhere or someone to help. Uh, a great resource, as we've just learned, is andrewjamesmckenna.com. Andrew, uh, just a pleasure meeting you. This conversation and interview could be five hours long. Absolutely. Um, I I'd love to have you on the show again sometime to talk uh, about any other aspect of your book. Uh, and before we let you go, let's talk about that title one more time. Sheer Madness from Federal Prosecutor to Federal Prisoner. Um, keynote speaking, addiction counseling, it, it, it's really quite a story. We encourage our listeners to check you out online. Do you tweet? Do you Facebook? Do you do any of that? Uh, yeah, a lot of Facebook. Um, still trying to figure out tweet. Um, Twitter. Twitter, right. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. And I just want to mention one other thing. And I mentioned, you know, um, programs that are willing to look outside the box. And I think Fairbanks is certainly one of those. I mentioned Addiction Campuses of America. I'm pretty sure they're referral partners. I'm not sure yet. I think they are. Um, but it, I think the idea is that one, one size doesn't fit all. And... You know, it, it, the sooner we can get away from those stale paradigms, the better off we're going to be, and we're going to be able to provide the services that we need to, to the people that need them the most. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically. Rolling on from Peoria at Bradley University, I'm with Sigma Nu member 
Daniel Larson. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. We want to learn more about what you guys do with your philanthropy and community service here at uh, Bradley in the Peoria area. Yeah, we like to work a lot with uh, local churches and as well as the Boys and Girls Club of America down here in Peoria. Uh, we usually volunteer our time two to three times a week and go and play with the kids, like play basketball, paint pictures with them, whatever they want to do. Uh, we just go as a support system for them to, you know, have someone there to be, to be there with them. Is that the same thing, going to the church to work with the Boys and Girls Clubs, or are those two different, two things? different things? Okay, so let's talk about the, the church thing. What do you guys do? Explain more detail what the church thing is. Uh, we volunteered our time as a service project, and we painted the entire uh, school. We repainted the whole school for them in, I think, two days, two and a half days. So That's a lot of work. Congratulations. Thank you. Let's have a round of applause for, for the Sigma News here. I'm going to call Sigma, the closest Sigma New chapter to my house and see if they'll come paint my house, if you guys are willing to work that hard. What's the uh, Boys and Girls Club uh, thing? You work crafts with them and read to them? Yeah, so the Boys and Girls Club of America, it's uh, after, every day after school at 3.30 to like 5 o'clock, uh, they're in the Boys and Girls Club, and they're just doing whatever they want to do. So we go and we'll paint pictures with them. If they want to play basketball, we'll play basketball. If they want to sit and play with their thumbs, we'll sit and play with their thumbs with them. Just, it's just like a support system because they really can't go home until like 5 o'clock when their parents get home from work. So Now, it, when you play basketball with them, and I have to describe for our listeners that you're about 4 foot 11. <laughs> um, no, what are you? About 5'6", five, 5'7"? Five, yeah, 5'6". So, you, you know, you, you start playing hoops with a bunch of first graders. Do you take control? You start facing them, don't you? You yeah. slam that ball right back in their face. Yeah, I just post them up. I just post them <laughs> up. I just posterize them. Post them up. All right. Well, Dan, uh, we appreciate uh, you representing your fraternity and all the hard work you guys do and, and everybody here at Bradley University. Give yourselves one more round of applause. Thank you so much for hosting the Adam Ritz Show. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.